Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. Welcome to Belonging, a podcast that explores how to come home to yourself in the age of loneliness. I'm Becca Piastrelli, your host and guide on a journey of courageous reconnection. As we explore topics like ancestral wisdom, cultivating meaningful sisterhood, living with the seasons and cycles of the earth and your body, and what it means to be a good ancestor. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Belonging Podcast. It's Becca Piastrelli here, your hostess and guide, and we are in the witchy season for real. Happy almost Halloween, happy almost Samhain, happy thin veils, happy howling at the moon, happy witch's new year, I'll be talking more about that. We are in a moment, a cosmic moment, when the wheel of the year turns, and Southern Hemisphere folks are at Bialtana, Beltane, May Day, the flowers are blooming, sending love to you down south, and up here in the Northern Hemisphere, we are in the dying times, seriously. So what am I talking about? I thought today I would share a little bit of the lore and the history and the ancestral belonging perspective of this time of year that wonderfully has maintained its enchantment despite the overculture, despite, you know, capitalism and patriarchy and the efforts of the Christian church over time somehow this time of year has been able to hold strong to its roots. And so a lot of us get really excited for this time of year. Sometimes we know, sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we're like, we love costumes and we love to feel scared at haunted houses. And I just like when it gets colder or pumpkins, whatever it is. And and I'm not discounting that those are the reasons why you love this time of year. And I want to go deeper here because This is a deeply sacred time when, as they say, the veils are thin. So what am I talking about? What veils? What are you saying? Is this some woo-woo stuff? I mean, kind of. But really, what I said before was, 
we are in the dying times. So what I mean is we are, depending on where you are latitudinally, you are seeing or are about to see, or if you're on the equator, you're not seeing this, but maybe your ancestors did, the dying of the deciduous or annual plants, right? There's this return. The energy has gone back down to the roots because the sun is waning. It's getting darker. There's more and more darkness. The energy is literally in the plants moving down into the roots. And so that brightness, that fruiting, that flowering where the energy was moving up in the plants earlier in the year, that's done, right? We've had the harvest. Again, I'm speaking from an ancestral agrarian perspective. I, you know, I still got greens growing. Our frost still hasn't come. But if you look at it from particularly old European lore for any of us that have ancestors that worked with the land in old Europe, what is, what is known as old Europe. So like pre-Christian, like thousands of years ago, Europe and during times when it was conquered and they lived and worked with the land, there's so much depended on a good harvest. And then what came after the good harvest was the coming of winter, right? That sort of fear and nervousness around winter is still maintained like Game of Thrones. Winter is coming. Oh my gosh, will we survive? And so we're just coming out of this ancestral memory of this time of year when it the frantic, fast-paced, hard labor time that is the harvest that's been the past several months, right? Starting at the beginning of August, that was the, that is traditionally known as the first harvest, the wheat harvest. And then we came into the fall equinox and that's the second harvest. And then we've passed into the third harvest and that's the final fruits to gather. And then what happens? The leaves start falling. The plants are done. The evergreens remain. And that is why we put them not all, I should be careful with my words, and that is why in the winter, bringing evergreens into the home, which is the root of the Yule tree or Christmas tree tradition, was a reminder that life continues. But for the most part, right, we're seeing leaves fall and plants, quote, die, return to the earth to be composted, which, another side note, I understand if you have to rake your leaves, but try not to rake all of them because leaves aren't litter. There is a process that came before driveways and lawns and homes and concrete, which was the leaves going back and actually helping to compost and create better soil for the coming growing season. So just going to put that out there. Maybe don't rake all your leaves. Maybe leave them to go back into the earth. It, may, it isn't always pretty but it's very important to the ecosystem. So back to dying times. We are literally seeing in nature a transition from life to death. And so what did that remind our ancestors of? Our own mortality. Because we too, we are not apart from this life-death life cycle. We are a part of it too. And our ancestors knew that, that every year... As the seasons shifted, we were reminded that all must die for life to come back again. It is a sacred, sacred thing. And yes, we are a very death-resistant culture. I talked about it in my episode with Jerry Grace Lyons around my death midwifery course. And 
I share that also in my Wisdom of Evergreens episode from last winter. But we also are a death-curious culture, right? We are super curious about death. Just look at like the most popular podcasts and like just how many people want to watch horror movies and go into haunted houses and just how many of us want to like dress up with skeletons and just there is a curiosity with what the shadow side of being a human being, of being alive. And so this time of year is a time to really immerse ourselves in that, truly. So there are some traditions that have maintained and been co-opted and commercialized that I wanted to share just to bring deeper meaning to this time of year. So I, you will hear me say the word Samhain. It looks like Samhain, S-A-M-H-A-I-N, but it's pronounced S-O-W-W-H-E-N, Samhain, which is the Celtic the Celtic origin name for this celebration that we have around October 31st. Now, there are many other names and traditions from Europe, from not Europe, from all over the world around this time of year. We heard from Lorena Aguirre about Dia de los Muertos. There's All Hallows Eve. There's like Italian traditions. And many of them involve honoring of the ancestors. Who are the ancestors? They are the dead ones. They are the ones that are no longer embodied. And so in a lot of the lore that I've studied, sometimes it's the ancestors who come around this time of year because the veils are thin, right? It's We're in the shadow period where there's more darkness and less sun. The plants are dying. We're feeling the energy of death. And so this belief that the, the veil is thin, meaning that the veil between the living and the dead world, the other world, so that we can more deeply connect with our ancestors. But who else is in this other world? Well, it depends on your ancestral traditions and your mythological beliefs and all of it. But this is where goblins and ghouls and fairies, all these otherworldly non-human creatures come from. So again, I'm going to be centering like Celtic tradition, but in the Celtic pantheon, in the story of immigration and assimilation, and just how all of us have such wide and varied ancestries and lineages, they all sort of swim about. So I will be careful with my words. And also I really encourage you, if you're really inspired, is to look look into the death practices, the ancestral reverence practices, the celebrations of your culture. Look into Polish celebrations around this time of year. Look into traditions around the end of the harvest if you're from like central Russia or if you're from Asia, like South Asia. There are so many different ways of honoring this time of year. So what I want to talk about is something called the wild hunt. So this is usually the night before Samhain or Halloween. So maybe you would name it as October 30th. Side note on this, it's a cross-quarter day. So this is halfway between the equinox and the solstice. So halfway between the fall equinox and the winter solstice. So it really has to do with like planetary alignment And so it's not always on the same day. And in fact, this year in 2019, when I'm recording this, the cross-quarter day is actually November 7th, not October 31st. 
So some purists are like, nope, November 7th is when the veils are thinnest. Also, I believe it's a season. Ironically, that's the first night of the Rooted Magic Retreat. Um, so we're going to get our ritual on. I'm so excited for that. But so we'll say the wild hunt is October 30th. And what is that? That is when many believed the portal was opened, the veils were pierced, and the otherworldly creatures came in. And so what did our ancestors, my ancestors, the ancestors do to protect themselves that night? Well, there are traditions of carving turnips and gourds into faces that looked ghoulish and evil or mischievous, and then putting a candle next to them or inside of them, outside your door, and turning off all the lights in the house to trick, trick these, these goblins, these free folk, these fair folk, these other folk from trying to come in and make mischief in your home. Well, this is the origin of the jack-o'-lantern. What else would the ancestors do? Leave out um, a plate of sweets, you know. It's known that fairy folk really love sweet food. And so that is the origin of trick or treat. So we'd want to give them a treat so that we wouldn't get tricked. And that is the origin of trick or treating. But there are other foods that can be left out. You see this a lot in ancestor rituals and connection practices around this time of year is leaving out the favorite foods of the passed over ones. In fact, this is a, tra a tradition and ritual I have done for the last five years, which is the night, usually the night before and the night of Samhain, Halloween, when the veil is thinnest, when the wild hunt is afoot, is leaving out some foods and some belongings of my past ancestors. I've written letters to them before outside. I've left a little shot glass of whiskey before, oranges. I've had friends leave out ice cream, their grandfather's favorite ice cream, as a way to also connect with those that have passed. And I've wondered if I've like caused a drunk squirrel or anything like that. But this is, this is really... I hope you can understand here is it can feel fun, but if you can drop into a deeper understanding of this practice, this is the practice of belonging to all that is and all that was and all that is to come to really see the spiralic nature of time and life and to really see the connection between nature and our lives. And so if a squirrel wants to like have a bite of an orange or a sip of whiskey you know, who, what would my ancestors say of that? What does that squirrel know? And what are we giving to that squirrel? So there's also land spirits to honor and the past ones of the land, the past trees, the past stones, the past waters. It's a very deep and beautiful moment in the wheel of the year. And one I find myself to just really, really, really adore. So in the Celtic tradition, this is the end of the year and the beginning of the next year. So you may have heard it, it said that this is the witch's new year. And I, that really does make sense to me when I think about it, because the Roman Catholic Gregorian calendar that begins in the dead of winter, not even on solstice, but like the dead of winter just past solstice, I mean, I just always feel kind of like bleary-eyed 
and confused and not fully embodied and with energy because it's hibernation time to be like, okay, this is the plan for the year. I'm going to do all these things. I really, I honestly wait until spring comes to really get more into action that way. Although not always, I live in this, I live in this world and I have light bulbs and running water and heating and I have to carry on. But in that sort of seasonal living ancestral way, it does make sense to me, at least from this ancestral perspective, that the year would end with the death of, with that dying time, with the plants completing their cycle, and that the year, the next year would begin with the hibernation and not with the planting of seeds that is spring. Uh, they say that it is said, I don't know who they are, it is said that in order for the seed to be planted, it must be dreamed in first. And so winter is known as dream time in many traditions. And so we begin with dreaming. We begin with rest. Well, ain't that some shit? That sounds pretty good, right? But I know that other traditions like Chinese New Year is around the quickening time in early February, right? When, um, what is that called in old European tradition? Oh, Imbolc or candle moss. So I'm not here to say like, this is the way, but it just really resonates with me that this, this would be the end of the year. And so what I have done is I know that November and December for me work-wise, I really try to ratchet it down and I really try to get reflective and dreamy. So really reflective on how the year went and dreamy looking forward. But, but my energy just really goes to my feet. I'm more tired. I need naps. I need to go slower. And of course, this is the time of the holidays where it's really hard, but guarding my time has really helped me because I'm committed to living in an ancestral way. I'm committed to living seasonally. And so that's what matters to me. So in that way, this night of Samhain, this night of Halloween feels like a really big celebration. And in fact, the burning of the great fire in many old European traditions that I've looked at of my own ancestries. This was a moment for the community to come together, a wildness, also the light. We could see each other in the light and it could keep away the evil or the, the trickster energy and so that the community would turn off their lights and or like leave their house, lock up their house, maybe do protection spells around their house, leave their gourds lit or sweets or foods out and then come together in the town or in the village, in the community, around the great fire. And then they would take the coal from that fire and bring it back to their home to put in their hearth to keep them warm all winter long. So there's a beautiful communal element too. It's embracing the shadow side of this sort of wild night, maybe doing some divination, communing with the spirits of those who have passed, setting protections so that no trickster things go on, but certainly they would, coming together. And then when the day comes the next day, bringing those coals back into your home, because now is the time to prepare for winter. First frost has come, the gardens and fields are put to bed, and it's now about rest and dreaming and surviving, frankly, surviving winter, which was really hard to survive. I love the Celtic tradition of the cows. So the cows going, they go out to pasture 
around Beltane or Bealtaine around May Day, and they come in from pasture into for winter around Samhain, around Halloween. And so when they're brought out to pasture at Bealtaine around May Day, they move through water. And when they come in from pasture, they are richly moved in through smoke. And so smoke is this really beautiful element of this time of year, burning incense, having candles going, having fires going, and smoke as this tool for clearing, for cleansing. That feels so important to me just to know that the cows are passed through smoke when they return home to cleanse them and purify them and prepare them for the dreaming times. What else can you do this time of year? Make candles. I'm talking about fully getting what you need to dip candle sticks in wax. It is such an ancestrally relieving, (laughs) comforting handcraft to do. The other one is making brooms or besoms with dried grass. And so they would make it with magical woods, you know, that maybe like an elder wood or a, a hazel wood or oak. And then using the dried grasses from the harvest of that year to make brooms to keep your home sacredly clean and clear throughout the winter. Making masks is a huge handcraft this time of year. Why would you want to make a mask? This idea of shape-shifting, of tricking the spirits, of maybe uh, dabbling into the shadow world, of of shifting into a new energy. Mask-making has such uh, beautiful origins in this time of year. So there's lots of things you can look up and research from your own ancestors. I highly, highly encourage you to do that. Maybe see what their brooms and besoms look like, what their traditions were around protection, because that's a big one with the thin veils with this time of year, and also ancestral connection. How did your ancestors honor their ancestors, and how can you do the same? And really, maybe there is a part of you that can feel a little more comfortable embracing this magical sort of shadow, witch cackly kind of way of being this time of year because all of us are engaging in that shadow work. Look how obsessed we are with haunted houses and costumes and trickster energy. Like if there's any time of year where you have permission to deepen into that, of course, with protection and safety, that is this time of year. And to just go a, go a level deeper, maybe share with the people you're hanging out with or if you're a mom with the fellow moms, about the origins of trick-or-treating, about the origins of the jack-o'-lantern. And yeah, get some magic going. Make an ancestral offering. See what happens. Lay out your grandmother's pearls next to her favorite snack and open yourself up to the magic that can happen this night, these nights when the wild hunt is afoot. So... So and blessings to you, whatever you celebrate. May you connect with the shadow, with the other folk, with the other world, and feel the infinite beauty of this moment of death because it leads into creating life again. And maybe don't break your leaves. Okay, thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. I know your time is sacred, and I hope this episode infused some inspiration and meaning into your day. 
For show notes, links, and references from this episode, you can go to belongingpodcast.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to Belonging on Apple Podcasts, and if you have a moment, leave a review. This helps my little podcast reach more listeners, and I would be ever so grateful.